Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Before today's episode is over with, I am going to give you my Elimination Chamber uh, predictions, which Elimination Chamber will happen today at 12 o'clock on Eastern Time, 9 o'clock in the morning on Pacific Standard Time, since they're doing it in Saudi Arabia. Anyway, without further ado, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw opens up with a MVP Bobby Lashley entering promo. The general gist is that Bobby's out here to say that in Elimination Chamber, he'll walk in as WWE Champion, and he'll walk out as WWE Champion, and he'll walk into WrestleMania as WWE Champion. But you know how this usually goes. One by one, every person that's going to be inside the chamber starts making their way out to the ring. You get Seth Rollins first, then you get Riddle, then you get Austin Theory, AJ Styles, and finally Brock Lesnar. Now, once all six men are in the ring, you have Austin Theory like back into a corner. Brock Lesnar gets in there. He has a little face-off with Bobby Lashley because that's the moment that we all want. He takes off his cowboy hat. He takes off his big jacket. He puts it on to Austin Theory basically as his little ring coat or the coat stand, if you will. And he just does that just to have Austin Theory hold the stuff. Austin Theory takes, uh, he takes exception to this and he tries to jump Brock from behind, but that doesn't go out any uh well for Theory. Um, Theory ends up falling over Brock Lesnar, and Brock immediately grabs Theory and starts German suplexing him. Once he hits the first German suplex, you see everybody leave out of the ring. You see AJ, Seth, Riddle, Bobby Lashley, and MVP all leave out of the ring as Brock start uh, German suplexing Theory. And then you see him finally end it off with the F5, but he looks at Bobby Lashley's direction once he does this. Again, a nice little first promo to let the whole world know a Elimination Chamber happening this Saturday. So... I'm not complaining about this opening. After this, we have our first match of the night, which is the Dirty Dogs going against the Street Profits. The thing with this is that Tommaso Ciampa is on commentary for this matchup, and he kind of does play into a part into the ending of the match. The Street Profits would win the match by pinfall with a little help from Tommaso Ciampa. When Dolph Ziggler was on the outside of the ring and he got close to Tommaso Ciampa, Tommaso starts mouthing off to Dolph, and Dolph made Tommaso flinch when he looked like he was about to super kick him, but he just lifted up his leg. So Ciampa flinched. Dolph laughs at it. So Ciampa then grabs a red solo cup that's on the announce table, throw it in uh, Dolph's face, which has drink in it. So Dolph is now rubbing his eyes because the drink got into his eye. This allowed the Street Profits to hit their tag finish on Bobby Roode, which is a spine buster, then a frog splash for the win. After this, we have the United States Championship matchup between AJ Styles and Damian Priest. Damian Priest would get his win back from last week by pinning AJ Styles when he learned from a mistake last week when he runs towards the rope. And AJ thinks that he's about to do the exact same move that he did last week and catch Damian Priest with a rebound for the Finale Farm. But Damian holds onto the rope. AJ jumps. He uh, leaps into the air, drops down, rolls. And Damien ends up grabbing AJ, rolling him up for the win. So now you got one and one, and more than less, probably next Monday on Raw, we're probably going to get a rematch between Damien Priest and AJ Styles. After this, we have a handicap match. Omos going against the Hurt Business. 
Cedric Alexander, and Shelton Benjamin. That's their tag name. Omos will win the match by pinfall in dominating fashion when Omos was able to grab Cedric by the, the neck when Cedric was on the top turn uh, buckle and Shelton runs towards Omos, but Omos big boots Shelton in the face. And this allowed Omos to grab Cedric by his neck and hit him with a double uh, choke slam for the win. I didn't, I don't understand this. We separated Omos from AJ Styles, and I understand we want to make Omos this big menacing guy because he is a big menacing force, but if you have no plans for Omos, why not just keep him with AJ Styles and have him do like a big turn at Mania or the Raw after Mania? It makes no sense that you turned him and you're doing absolutely nothing with Omos. I just want to cast him as a bodyguard for AJ Styles until Mania or after Mania. Make it a big shocking deal that Omos turns on AJ at Mania or after Mania. It just would have been a better ordeal for them instead of you now having Omos just basically uh, going off in the sea and just trying to do something. You have no idea what you're doing with him. And you're just feeding him people. And the same thing with Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. They should be going at the tag team titles. They're a capable tag team. They are former uh, Raw Tag Team Champions. Cedric Alexander has a whole lot of potential in him. He's a great professional wrestler. Shelton Benjamin, again, the veteran himself, him and Shelton Benjamin, him and uh, Cedric Alexander, they can do a lot of things in the ring. I just think that WWE's wasting time and they just did this as a uh, filler for the show. Doesn't make sense to me, but hey, it's WWE. After this, we have our Raw Women's Contract signing between Becky Lynch and Lita. Lita comes out. She looks happy because you know that this is her match that she's going to get for the Raw Women's Championship. But Becky Lynch comes out non-Becky, non if you will. She doesn't come out in her uh, Becky Von Goat style stuff, like the big old uh, extra clothing. She's not wearing big furs and all this type of stuff. No, she comes out. Very disheveled. She comes out just looking normal. She comes out looking sad and depressed. To get into the ring, Becky tells Lita not to sign the contract because she doesn't want to ruin Lita's career. They don't want Lita. She doesn't want Lita's last, uh, the lasting memories that fans have of Lita is of Becky beating Lita. They want, she wants the fans to remember Lita as the way that she is, as a legend as she is. And she, Becky basically tells Lita that, listen, I will go for the jugular. I've been watching your career real closely, but I'm not above going for your neck. Lita ultimately tells Becky, listen, I'm going to sign this contract and I'm going to end your 500-day reign as Raw Women's Champion and you got to find out how you're going to deal with this. So Lita signs the contract, Becky signs the contract, Becky throws the contract at Lita and then walks away out of the ring. So the match has been signed. After this, we have our gauntlet match. And the winner of this gauntlet match is the last person to enter the Elimination Chamber. And this is the women's Elimination Chamber match, might I add. So the first two participants of the gauntlet match are Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. Nikki will get eliminated by Rhea when Rhea hits her with the Riptide for the win. That's one. So then you get Liv Morgan come out. Rhea beats Liv Morgan by hitting her with the Riptide. Now, after Liv Morgan's done, you get Dewdrop coming out. Now, you think Rhea Ripley wouldn't be able to hit the Riptide on Dewdrop, but she was able to hit the Riptide on Dewdrop. So then, you get Rhea eliminating Dewdrop. So now, Rhea is on a hot streak. She's tired. She's beating up three other women. So now, we get B 
Bianca Belair coming out. And the way that it's going, you would think Rhea Ripley's going to do it because she's been being the Iron Woman throughout this whole matchup. But it all comes to an end when Bianca Belair eliminates Rhea Ripley by hitting her with the KOD to win the gauntlet match. And Bianca Belair is going to be entering the elimination chamber last. They do announce on the commentary team that Rhea Ripley did last 44 minutes and 4 seconds throughout this whole matchup. See, the mystery thing after this was that we still didn't know who the mystery woman was going to be for this chamber. We didn't know the sixth participant. That would change later in the night because we would get our update on Alexa Bliss and therapy. Alexa Bliss would get deemed here by her therapist. And they ultimately announced that Alexa Bliss will be taking that six-woman spot in the chamber. So, at Elimination Chamber, you get Alexa Bliss inside the chamber. After this, we get a tag team matchup. The Mysterios going against Alpha Academy. Miz and Maurice were on commentary for this match. Alpha Academy will win the match by pinfall with a little help from The Miz when Dominic was on the top turnbuckle and The Miz got on the ring apron, tried to distract Dominic. Ray pushed Miz off the apron and then jumped on him. While Dominic's on the top turnbuckle, he jumps off and hits crossbody on Gable, He but Gable was able to float over and reverse it and pin Dominic, and even hold on to Dominic's tights for extra leverage to win the match. After the match, Maurice got in the ring, and now you get Ray and Dominic looking at Maurice. Maurice is kissing Ray's face. Uh, Miz sneaks in and shoves Dominic out of the ring. Ray gets slapped by Maurice in the face, and then the Miz was able to hit a skull crusher finale on Ray to end the segment. Now, here's the thing here. They do announce that Elimination Chamber, it will be Rey Mysterio going against The Miz, so they do announce that as well. I do like how Dominic paid tribute to Randy Macho Man Savage with uh, his attire. He had his whole uh, attire that he usually wears, but you saw the pink and yellow influence in it, and also on the back, I believe on his uh, back, on the back shoulders type deal, you saw the stars in... uh, position and you knew once you see pink and yellow and you see stars you know that automatically goes to randy savage and the wrestling tradition so i like that dominic was able to pay tribute to randy savage i don't know why but he paid tribute and it was a good looking attire i'm a fan of wrestling attires whenever they do special things to him i'm a real big fan of that after this we get to our main event of the night Seth Rollins going against Randy Orton. Seth will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by the Alpha Academy. After Randy will hit an RKO on Seth, the Alpha Academy will come out, but Riddle will come out as well and jump Gable from behind. Otis turns around and starts attacking Riddle, so Randy leaves the ring to help out his partner Riddle. And once he's done taking out the Alpha Academy, he runs himself back into the ring because the referee's doing the whole ring count deal. As soon as Randy slides into the ring, Seth hits him with the curb stomp, pins Randy to get the win. So Seth has a little bit extra momentum going into the Elimination Chamber tonight. So that's the end of Monday Night Raw. Raw was fine. It was the go-home show. You got to understand, whenever it's a go-home show, they're going to put some effort into it, but it's not always, like, the big effort unless it's, like, a SummerSlam or even a WrestleMania-type deal. Those are the only two big ones that they'll do something for a go-home shows. But other than that, everything else is always going to be fine. But again, Raw was fine, and that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week.
now it's time for NXT. This is the Avengers Day special for NXT. And before I get into the uh, results, they do announce that the Women's Dusty uh, Tag Team Classic will start next week on NXT as well. Dolph Ziggler will be going against Tommaso Ciampa on NXT next week. Now on to the show. The first match of the night is your steel cage with weapons matchup with Pete Dunne going against Tony D'Angelo. Pete Dunne will win the match by pinfall when he hits Tony with a crowbar once in the stomach and then the final blow to the behind the head of Tony D'Angelo. Now Tony's knocked out at this point. Pete lifts him up, hits him with a bitter end on a piece of a broken table, pin him, that's the end of the match. Tony D'Angelo and Pete Dunne had a good matchup to open the show for Vengeance uh, Day for NXT. Inside the matchup, you had a cricket bat being used, steel chairs being used, a toolbox with tools being used, crowbars being used, a table getting smashed, and also a steel chain being used. So they use basically about all the weapons in there. Oh, yeah, in a trash can and uh trash can lid. So, again, with all the weapons and everything being associated with a steel cage, it was a solid matchup to open the show. After this, we had the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship matchup with Toxic Attraction with Mandy Rose in their corner going against Persia Parada and Indy Hartwell. Toxic Attraction will win the match by pinfall when JC was able to move out of the way as Persia Parada was running towards her and, like, trip Persia onto the steel steps. So this took out Persia Parada towards the end of the match. Then, as Indy Hartwell was looking at a down Gigi Dolan in the ring, Indy tries to hit her patented springboard elbow drop, but JC was able to go to the ropes quickly, move the ropes, and Indy ends up crashing onto the ring. This allowed Toxic Attraction to hit their tag team finish, which is a spinning uh, high kick and a sweeping low kick onto Indy for the win. Solid match. So you know where this is basically leading to. Somebody, the team is going to win the women's Dusty Tag Team Classic are going against Toxic Attraction, and more or less, Toxic Attraction is going to lose to whatever team is going to win the Women Dusty Tag Team Classic. That's just my bet on where this is basically leading to. After this, we had LA Knight and Grayson Waller entering segment. This segment was about Waller coming out with police officers to try to arrest Knight because he broke his, the restraining order uh, that Waller had against Knight last week on NXT. Waller pulled up footage to show why Knight should be arrested. So Knight knew this would happen. He had footage of his own pop up on the screen, and he showed when Waller attacked him two weeks ago, unprovoked, might I add, when Waller basically jumped out of the crowd and hit a rolling stunner on LA Knight. So Knight then let Waller know that on page two of his restraining order, hey, it says that Knight can't touch Waller but Waller can't touch Knight as well. So that basically uh, null and void the restraining order. So now everything's free game. Once the officers leave, Waller understands the uh, mistake that he's made. And he now knows that Knight's about to beat up on him, which Knight does do. Knight is able to beat up on Waller, get a couple shots off on him, ultimately throw Waller outside of the ring. But Sunga, Waller's bodyguard, catches him. And... That's it. However, Knight does make a match between himself and Waller for next week on NXT, so that's another match to look out for. After this, we had our NXT North American Championship matchup of the night. 
Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Cameron Grimes. Carmelo Hayes will win the match by pinfall to retain the North American Championship, or in Carmelo's words, the A Championship. When Melo grabbed Grimes' head and yanked it to on the top rope, so made basically Grimes' neck snap at that moment. So Grimes is now down on the mat, and he's trying to uh, work on his neck and hold his neck up. Melo gets on the top rope, jumps off, hits a leg drop to the back of the head of Grimes, pins him. That's how Carmelo wins and retains his championship. I do got to say this, Trick Williams does pay dividends twice in this matchup. Once, whenever uh, Carmelo was on the outside and Grimes is on the ring apron and he's looking to hit the cave-in, Trick pushes Carmelo out of the way and he eats the cave-in for himself. And then you see uh, on the inside of the ring, the next portion is whenever um, Carmelo has Grimes in a cross face and Grimes is trying to crawl over to the bottom rope, Trick grabs the bottom rope and starts pulling it towards his direction to make sure that Grimes can't get it. The referee sees it, but he allows it. He doesn't technically like throw Trick Williams to the back or inject him. So Trick Williams does pay his dividend. He does pay his, uh, he plays his role real nicely with Carmelo Hayes. He knows that he's got to be the guy to basically enforce, not really being an enforcer type, but be the guy that kind of takes the hits for Melo whenever Melo's in some type of danger. I do like that dynamic that Melo and uh, Trick do have. Also, I do want to announce, not announce, but I do also do want to say this. Carmelo Hayes does, I starting to understand what he's doing. On big events like this, like big matchups, he has something special every time. The last one with him going against Roddy at New Year's Evil, he had a shirt that had the Roddy on it with uh, Roddy in front of the, pearly gates with the title reign of Roddy on the t-shirt this time with him and Carmelo he had himself pouring out a bottle and he remember on the bottle he said rest in piss he poured out the bottle on the front of the t-shirt but it had underneath the bottle as the, the, the drink was fluid coming down you had Cameron Grimes face on it so you could tell that he's basically saying rest in piss to his haters and Cameron Grimes is one of his haters because obviously he has to go against Cameron Grimes in this matchup Again, this is basically Carmelo Hayes' thing. I can see that on big matchups and big things of this nature, he's always going to have something, uh, either with a t-shirt, with some type of special graphic on it. I like what he's doing. I like it. It adds another, like, flair to Carmelo Hayes, the cockiness. And again, I like seeing cockiness from Carmelo Hayes. After this match, we have our men's Dusty Tag Team Classics Finals. The Creed Brothers with Malcolm Bibbins in their corner going against MSK. The Creed Brothers will win the matchup by pinfall to win the Dusty Tag Team Classic when Nash Carter flew out of the ring for a suicide dive onto Julius Creed, but Julius catches him in midair, hits the Oklahoma Slam on Carter on the outside of the ring, throws Carter in the ring, and then hits the sliding clothesline on Carter for the win. So now you have the Creed Brothers winning the Dusty's Tag Team Classic, and they get a future NXT Tag Team Championship matchup, and even on commentary, they mentioned how that the Cree brothers might get that matchup at Stand and Deliver on WrestleMania weekend, so that's kind of already reinforcing exactly what's going to happen here. Good tag team match between MSK and the Cree brothers. I will say that the Grizzly Young Veterans and the Cree brothers had a better match, in my opinion, because the crowd was much more uh, focused in on that matchup compared to this matchup with MSK, but again, 
I'm not gonna downplay MSK on this one. They did a great job with the, they did a great job with the Creed Brothers. They did what they had to do. MSK, solid professionals, and I like that they were able to put over and basically help out the Creed Brothers. After this, we had an Imperium in-ring promo. The gist of it is that they congratulated the Creed Brothers for winning the Dusty Classic, but let them know that they are not ready to hang with Imperium. They're not up to the Imperium standards, meaning that they will not be taking the NXT Tag Team Championships off of them. Gunther makes it known that he is now gunning for the NXT Championship, and he lets it known that he's going to be paying close attention to the NXT Championship matchup tonight. But he does get interrupted by Solo Sequoia, and Solo Sequoia lets it be known that he's going after Gunther because he's the biggest guy in NXT. So, Solo Sequoia going against Gunther, that's going to be a good match or a good rivalry, if you will. But I want to say this, I want to know who's going to be Solo Sequoia's backup because you know Solo's going to have to have some backup going against Gunther because he's going to have Marcel Bartel and Fabian Agner on his side. I just want to know, is Solo Sequoia going to get some backup from the Kree brothers at this moment? Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I don't know, but if that's the case, we get a six-man of Solo with the Kree brothers going against Imperium. I'm down for that on the way to lead up to their matchup at Stand and Deliver. Like I said, I can see how they're formatting, formatting that, and I'm cool with it. On to the main event of Vengeance Day. The NXT Championship matchup between Braun Breaker and Santos Escobar. Santos had the God of Death Fantasma in his corner, obviously. I will say this. Santos Escobar came out repping uh, Eddie Guerrero tribute tights because on commentary, they do announce that it's the 18th year anniversary of when Eddie Guerrero beat Brock Lesnar at No Way Out in 2004 to win the WWE Championship. So I like that Santos Escobar paid tribute to Eddie Guerrero by wearing one of Eddie Guerrero's tights. And he had like legato on the back of his tights. I will say this. I did tweet out that, you know what? I, it doesn't matter what company a Latino wrestler's in. They're going to find a way how to pay tribute to Eddie Guerrero. I do like that. Well, Latino wrestlers, they got to pay tribute to Eddie Guerrero in some way. And then they do the frog splash, but before they do it, they point up to the sky, meaning Eddie Guerrero. Or they do the three amigos. Or they do the old lie, cheat, and steal, where they cheat somehow, cheat to win. Eddie Guerrero style. Latino wrestlers are great at incorporating that with Eddie Guerrero, and I just like seeing that. It's one of their things. I do admit, I like it. Also, Braun Breaker gets his own special entrance again this paper, well, this event, because before he comes out, you see a uh, special like video entrance of him standing on the outside, and he like has the vengeance sign behind him. He sparks up some type of flare. He puts it on the ground. The flare hits a liquid. It hits the flame. Flame goes to the back of Braun Breaker and it burns up the Vengeance logo behind him. So WB is truly all into the Braun Breaker, uh, I'm not going to say experiment, but the Braun Breaker guy. And again, Braun Breaker is a Steiner, so it would make sense for WWE to basically put a lot of stock into Braun Breaker because guess what? He's a freak athlete and why not? He fits the part perfectly for what you want him to. Anyway, getting to the matchup. Braun Breaker will win the match by pinfall. However, towards the end of the match, Santos was getting his butt beat. 
and Legado del Fantasma started getting on the ring apron. Braun Breaker was take out was able to take out both of the men of Legado del Fantasma, but the referee was distracted by Electra Lopez. This allowed Dolph Ziggler to come out of nowhere and hit Braun Breaker with a super kick. Santos saw this as an opportunity to pin Braun, but that wasn't enough to end Braun. Dolph tried to get back into the ring, but Tommaso comes out of nowhere, grabs Dolph's legs, and now you see Dolph and Tommaso fighting their way to the back. Santos then sees Braun getting up. He runs towards Braun, jumps on him, hits a spinning DDT, then goes to the top turnbuckle, looks to hit a frog splash, but Braun moves out of the way, and Santos lands on his feet, and then Braun runs towards Santos, hit him with a spear, Peso Santos hits him with a gorilla press slam for the win. NXT, great watch. You should see it when you have time. I would... I strongly encourage it. Anyway, that was the NXT Vengeance Day Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get into AEW Dynamite news, uh, there's been news and rumors, well, technically it's been confirmed by both Cody Rhodes, Tony Khan, and Brandy Rhodes that Cody Rhodes has left AEW, as well as Brandy Rhodes. And it's been rumored that Cody has been in contact with the WWE talking about making a return back to the big federation, the big North, if you will. Um, it's weird. It's weird and interesting because Cody for all intents and purposes was the face of AEW literally since its inception in 2019. Cody was literally the head guy. Cody was the guy that everybody looked at. Tony Khan might own the company, but Cody was the figurehead. He was the face of AEW. It's just weird to see one of your four guys that you uh, were the faces of the company leave said company that they helped build. It's really weird. Um, Cody also leaving AEW sets... It kind of sets a weird precedent, if you will, because think about this. It's almost in the equivalence of mm, a Triple H leaving. And people might say, Joe, really Triple H, Cody Rhodes? Just just hear me out here. Triple H is integral to WWE. When you think of WWE, you think of all these guys, Rock, Austin, Undertaker. Triple H is going to come up in that mainframe in there, okay? But... When you think of AEW, you're going to think of Cody Rhodes, you're going to think of the Bucks, you're going to think of Omega, because the company is so new, but those are the four that's going to pop to your head as the legit guys that did AEW. So for Cody to leave, it's almost the equivalent of one of those big names of WWE leaving and jumping over. It's going to be weird for Cody to go over to the WWE, especially after so much stuff he's been saying to WWE about WWE in past times. Yes, uh, in his later years, he's gotten really political about it and like really said some nice things about it. But whenever he first left WWE, he said certain things about WWE. I'm not going to say they were harsh, but they were coming from his side of the thing, talking about how WWE didn't see him as a main eventer and he saw himself as a main eventer. So he always bet on himself, which when you leave the WWE or you leave any company to bet on yourself, you hope that you hit it big, and Cody hit it big, he started, he helped start AEW, literally the competition to WWE, and for Cody to leave, it's just weird, now, here's where I'm going to break this down to, 
I'm going to hit if it happens and if it don't. If it happens that he goes back to WWE, I want WWE to do this. And this is free advice for you right here. Do not have him debut anytime before Mania. Don't you dare. Let this simmer. Let this thing just wait. Let the news of Cody just being in talks. Just let it happen. Let it happen and have a pop-up at WrestleMania. Literally the day of WrestleMania, just have a pop. Do something. Have Seth Rollins in there waiting for something. Have somebody get attacked or jump or whatever the case may be. But have Cody literally pop out at WrestleMania. Because it'll be poetic, if you will. Because last time he was in WWE at a WrestleMania was in WrestleMania 32 in Dallas, Texas. And where is WrestleMania going to be this year? In Dallas, Texas. So it'll be poetic. And then you have Cody say something the next night on Monday Night Raw because that'll be the big buzz for Cody. But now, let's say this. If you do have him show up on before Mania, which will be the most idiotic thing because if you're going to have somebody debut, I'll say it again, you have him debut at Royal Rumble the same way that you did with AJ Styles. And then you have him do a big match at Mania. You don't have somebody debut literally like in the middle of WrestleMania season and have a dude, no, that's the dumbest thing ever. Don't do that. And you know that. You... Okay, so let me go back to this. If you have him debut in the middle of Mania season, have him pop up with Seth, because Seth's not doing nothing right now. I don't see him winning Elimination Chamber. I'm just going to let you know that right now. I don't have him winning. So have him do something with Seth, because Seth needs an opponent. Seth and Cody are going to fight at Mania. You do that. Cody ends up winning, because obviously Cody's back in WWE. Just say if that happens. And Kevin Owens pops out, because it's already been... Talked about how Kevin Owens has been talking about how he's not going to be at Mania and has been speculating that he's not going to have a match. So have Kevin Owens just pop out since he's friends with Seth Rollins. Have him and Seth beat up on Cody, right? And have Austin pop out and just stun Kevin Owens and stun Rollins and help out Cody Rhodes, the man that is back in WWE, and also somebody that Stone Cold has a relationship with Cody because he knew his father. So... It'll tie in the whole wrestling thing with Cody being a wrestling dynasty uh, uh, legacy with Austin being one of the biggest guys in all of professional wrestling. So it'll tie in everything right around with Austin showing his respect to Cody and all that type of stuff. And then you also will tie in the fact that you'll get a, whether people know it or not, you're going to get an Austin sit down with Cody at a Broken Skull Sessions on the WWE Network for Peacock. That's going to happen because Austin's the only guy that, gets these type of interviews when WWE calls it up and do anything. And that's the only one that WWE trusts with it and that the fans will actually turn in to see. So Austin's going to interview Cody if he is coming back to the WWE. So let me just put that on the cautionary tales. So that's on the if side he does join back. If this is all one big work, I am happy that this is a big work because they got the wrestling world in a frenzy about what is making... AEW tick, how's this going to look for AEW's future and how's it going to look for WWE's future is one of the biggest talking points that I've seen in a long time. Well, basically, since AEW was basically built up. And before that time, with contracts of anything else of this magnitude, this reminds me of whenever Brock Lesnar's contract came up like a day before WrestleMania 31. I believe it was the day before, or literally like the day of WrestleMania 31. And they even had Brock Lesnar go on ESPN because it was speculated that Brock's supposed to be going back to the UFC 
and all this type of stuff. And we all, as fans at that time, we didn't know what was going to go happen because at that time, Roman was the guy, but everybody wasn't happy that he was the guy because if you remember, Daniel Bryan got eliminated out of that Royal Rumble in 2015 and everybody wasn't happy about it. So when Roman won, Nobody wanted to see that. Me, I was cool with it, personally, because you know what? Roman and Brock, yeah, okay, this is the first new matchup that we get from these two. And also, WWE's making a star with Roman. Whether people like to admit it or not, they made a star with Roman in 2015, and that's where we all knew it was pushing. Anyway, Brock had to go to ESPN and say, no, he's not going back to the UFC. He's done with the UFC. And he also said that he re-sign back with WWE because before then we were all trying to figure out okay what's going to happen are they going to end up giving the belt to uh Roman or are they going to find out a way to get Brock to stay with the WWE those were everybody's only two options nobody thought of Seth Rollins uh cashing in his money in the bank contract and winning the WWE championship the way that they actually did do it which was clever than anything so this is what the whole Cody situation reminds me of okay is Cody really gone, or is this one big elaborate, like, work? Are they working everybody to believe this the same way that Mark Henry did whenever he said he was retiring until Mark Henry hit the uh, World Strongest Slam on John Cena? I mean, Mark Henry sucked everybody in on that Monday Night Raw. But again, this is just an interesting thing. If Cody's truly leaving AEW and he truly left, it's going to be an interesting couple months to see how AEW kind of rebounds from this and how wrestlers kind of talk about it in the interviews, because you know, uh, if I was going to interview a AEW wrestler, like on the top food chain, oh, that's definitely coming up. So again, I just want to see how AEW is going to be dealing with this in the next couple months and just to see how WWE is going to be dealing with this. Cause again, if they do sign Cody and it's a real life thing, don't have him debut until legit the day of mania and do something there. And then the next night on Monday Night Raw, have him talk. That's the easiest way you can get a big pop out of the wrestling world and make something out of it. And if he is not truly leaving AEW, and this is one big old hocus pocus, ha ha, I got you guys, this is going to be great. And I want to see how they're going to flip this thing. But that's just me speculating, and I'm going to be watching everybody else speculate. This is the only time you're going to hear from me until I either see Cody pop up on WWE or Cody pop back up on AEW. Or, if anything, he might pop up in another wrestling company. I mean, Ring of Honor's coming back, and Impact is here. And, I mean, do I see Cody technically doing that? No. But, who's to say? Cody is a different type of guy. So, we'll just see. Now, you know, to the AEW Dynamite results. We start off with CM Punk. He's sitting in the ring, crisscross style, and he has a box in front of him. And before Punk really gets into it, Punk says an old catchphrase that we haven't heard from him in such a long time. My name is C.M. Punk, and what I am is straight edge. I'm drug-free, I'm alcohol-free, and that means I'm better than you. Does that sound familiar? What Punk is referring to is MGF's catchphrase when MGF says this. I'm better than you, and you know it. As you can tell from both men, you can tell that MGF kind of patterned his slogan a little bit off of CM Punk, and that's basically what Punk was getting at here with that. Punk talks about how he spouted that slogan 20 years ago, and from then, he has basically 
raised up a bunch of wrestlers that are now wrestling in the in the major league and some in the independence now that have looked up to Punk. He talks about how MGF is one of them, but MGF wanted to be like Punk so bad, but MGF technically can't ever be like Punk. Punk mentions that he did win a tag match last week, which allows him to pick the place and one stipulation he will be facing MGF in. Punk chooses the place, Revolution, and then he goes on a whole diatribe about saying how MGF keeps on mentioning that he's like Piper in Portland. And Punk goes on a whole thing about MGF and Piper, how MGF still wants to be Piper, how he wants to be in the same realm as Piper. So whenever Punk starts talking about Piper in Portland, he starts getting more intense and he starts hitting his hand on the box. And inside the box is a dog collar. Punk decides that his match with MGF at Revolution will be a dog collar match. And the only other match that AEW had, which was a dog collar, was two years ago, was Cody Rose going against Mr. Brody Lee. Um, Punk calls out MGF and tells him that he has to tell something to MGF in his face, and he wants to see MGF's face when he says this. MGF music hits, MGF comes out, he's on the stage, and he looks not pleased. He looks... He looks really worried. He has not a worried face, but he looks like that. He has that face that he wants to say something, but he really can't. He just can't find the words to say anything because he has a mic in his hands. Punk pulls out a picture of whenever MGF was a young kid, and he took a photo with CM Punk at a photo at a meet and greet. Punk mentioned to MGF how that Friday, whenever he took that photo with Punk, that was MGF's greatest day of his life. But the Punk, it was another Friday. Punk goes on to tell MGF that at Revolution, that will be MGF's most miserable day in his whole entire life. And Punk just drops the mic and MGF is just standing there on the entrance ramp. He can't say anything because he's whole tongue-tied. He just can't find the words to say it. And it looks like at this point, MGF has cracked. His whole psyche has cracked. He looks like he... Looks like he's about to cry. You just have that feeling as you watch MGF stand there that CM Punk broke MGF. Not just the wrestler, but the fan that MGF said that he was a fan of Punk. He Punk just like brutally murdered that part of MGF right there. And Punk is just standing in the ring, having the dog collars around his neck and all the chain around his neck while MGF is just standing there. And MGF drops the mic and he walks back to the back. Punk accomplished something that nobody has ever done in AEW history in their whole entire almost three years of AEW right now. Nobody was actually able to make MGF shut up and break MGF and Punk was able to do it. The man that MGF idolized as a child, that idol really became MGF's rival. After this, we have our first match of the night, Brian Danielson going against Lee Moriarty. Brian Danielson does come through uh, the bad guy tunnel. So this is the first time in Brian's uh, AEW time now he has gone through the bad guy tunnel. Every other time, he was always the good guy. Even in his uh, rivalry that he had with Heyman Page, he was still going out through the good guy tunnel. This was his first time going throughout the bad guy tunnel, so we know where Brian Danson technically stands. Anyway, Brian wins the match by knockout when Brian hits a Baseko knee on Lee Moriarty, or as you know it as the running knee. And at this point, Lee is knocked out, but Brian doesn't end it there. He decides to grab Lee Moriarty's arms and start stomping Lee's head into the mat, and then he applies a triangle choke 
the referee lifts up Lee's arms. He sees that Lee's not conscious. He calls for the bell. So Brian Danson technically wins by knockout. This is a good match between Brian Danson and Lee Moriarty. Lee Moriarty was actually able to uh, show a whole lot of fury in this match with Brian Danson. And he actually was actually able to hang with Brian Danson until Brian kicked it up another level and showed basically that he's still notches above Lee Moriarty. After the match, Brian Danson gets the microphone and he basically calls out Moxley because he gave him a week or two and Moxley hasn't given uh, Brian an, any type of response. So Brian is calling him out so he can get a response to the proposal of teaming up together. Moxley comes out, he gets in the ring. He tells about a story about when he first met Brian Danielson back in a decade ago. And this was on the independence before Brian got re-signed back to the WWE. And he mentions how every time he got to face Brian Danielson from the Indies to the other place, he has never beaten Brian Danielson. And he mentions how every time he's been fought against him, he never won. So Brian Danielson has a winning record clean sweep over Moxley. Moxley then begins to question why Brian wanted to team up with him. And Moxley came to the conclusion that Brian must be scared of Moxley because he doesn't want to get destroyed. Just like everybody else in AEW has gotten destroyed by Moxley. Moxley then decides to tell Brian this, that the ball is in Brian's corner. He's not going to team up with Brian until he spilled blood against the person that he's teaming up with because he doesn't know if he could trust him or not. So he tells Brian, I haven't said no and I haven't said yes to your proposal. So Moxley basically proposes that Brian Danson has to fight Moxley, and those two have to scrap. Until then, he won't be teaming up with Brian, and he won't give it a second thought. That's at least what I come to my conclusion whenever I heard this. Anyway, after this, we get our Face of Revolution qualifying matchup with Sean Spears in Warlow's corner, going against Max Caster, who has Anthony Bones in his corner. Warlow wins the match by pinfall when he powerbombs Max Caster three times before pinning him. After the match, Anthony Bowens attacks Warlow from behind, but Warlow was able to powerbomb Bowens. And then Sean Spears comes in and he does his whole chair thing. He hits both Max Caster and Anthony Bowens with a steel chair. Warlow was not pleased with this because when Warlow was getting beat up by both Max Caster and Anthony Bowens throughout the match, Sean Spears didn't help him. So again, this is another notch in the belt of Warlow, basically getting tired of Sean Spears. So it's almost looking like he's about to start doing his own thing by himself. After this, we have another in-ring promo, but this time it's Hangman Adam Page, the AEW World Champion. But before Page could talk about his match that he had with Archer last week, Adam Cole comes out and interrupts him. Adam mentions to Page that he's been through a rough go-around lately and mentions that he has had matches with Brian Danielson, he had a match with Kenny Omega and the brutal match that he had with Lance Archer last week. Hangman stops Adam right there and he asks Adam, what was it like watching from a distance as his friends built up a wrestling company? So now you're about to see Hangman and Adam both throw shots at one another and Adam mentions how every time both him and Hangman are both in the exact same company, Hangman was always referred as the other Adam. Now you see Heyman get upset. He puts his title down in the corner. He looks like he wants to fight Adam Cole, but Cole tells Hangman that, listen, I have all the respect for you. I go back with you for a decade. We have a decade friendship. I was your roommate back in Ring of Honor. Listen, we're going to fight each other. And when we do, 
It's going to be man-to-man for that AEW World Championship. And I just want to tell you that I respect you. Cole sticks out his hand for Hangman to shake it. Hangman shakes it. Adam Cole decides to leave the ring. And as he leaves the ring, he's on the ring apron. You see him fix up his jacket, and he starts to hit a smile. He starts walking up the ramp. He pops his jacket one more time. And I got this moment. I kind of thought this was a signal, in which it was. Red Dragon pops out of nowhere, and they attack Heyman from behind. So now you get a two-on-one beatdown. Cole sees this. He runs back into the ring, and he decides to join in on Red Dragon beating up Hangman Page. They all put the boots to him. They stomp on him until security starts running down to separate Red Dragon and Adam Cole from Hangman Page. Then you see Dark Order all running down to the ring, and you see Adam Cole and Red Dragon leave the ring, and they start walking up the ramp. Then you start seeing number 10 of the Dark Order start beating up the security guards, and he starts beating them up, and even at one point tosses one security guard completely out of the ring onto a whole group of security guards outside of the ring. So this was basically trying to hype up Adam Cole's match with number 10 on a rampage that they do have against one another, but I'll give you that results later in the show. After this, now it's time for the tag team match of Chris Jericho and Jake Hager going against Proud and Powerful. But before the match begins, Eddie Kingston comes down and he gets into the corner of Proud and Powerful. And now we know that Eddie Kingston is with Proud and Powerful and this kind of upsets Jericho more. Proud and Powerful do win the match by pinfall when Chris Jericho has Santana locked into the walls of Jericho and Eddie is yelling words of encouragement to Santana to reach the ropes. Santana reaches the ropes and the ref has to tell Jericho to let go of the hold. Jericho, let's go to hold. Eddie Kingston gets on the ring apron, so Jericho decides to hit Eddie with a springboard dropkick. Jericho was then waiting for Santana to get up so he could hit with the Judas effect, but Santana ducks. Ortiz hops onto the ring apron, punches Jericho in the face. This allows Santana to hit a rolling clothesline for the win, and after the match, you see Jericho get out of the ring, go up to Eddie Kingston, and now you see Jericho start wanting to throw hits at Kingston. Kingston was only able to get one hit in, but he had his fist raised up in the air, acting like he's about to hit Jericho in the back, but he doesn't, which was real awkward to me. You see the referees come down to the ring, and they separate both uh, Kingston and Jericho, so this is basically leading up to a match with Eddie Kingston going against Jericho at Revolution. That's where I see where this headed. After this, we have a no disqualification match. Thunder Rosa going against Mercedes Martinez. Thunder Rosa wins the match by pinfall when she hits the Thunder Driver on a stack of steel chairs for the win. After the match, Thunder Rosa helps pick up Mercedes Martinez, grabs her by the hand, and bows to her in respect. Britt Baker, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter come down to the ring, and you see Britt Baker walk over to uh, Cobra Kai's, like, sensei like the dude from the original karate kid and i think like the reboot of cobra kai i have not watched cobra kai and i haven't watched karate kid so this thing is completely obtuse to me but i get where they're headed with this he tells Britt baker to end it finisher so you see Britt baker give the hand signal over to jamie and rebel to finish off thunder rosa they beat down on thunder rosa Britt baker comes in with the steel pipe Britt baker's about to hit Thunder Rosa with the steel pipe, but she looks at Mercedes Martinez and hands Martinez the pipe, and it tells her to attack Thunder Rosa. Martinez hesitates at the moment, but then you see Britt Baker tell Jamie Hayter to attack Mercedes. You see her do it, and then you see Britt Baker and her company, Rebel and Jamie, leave 
both Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez laid out in the ring. So I can see it again now. At Revolution, we're going to see Britt Baker going against Thunder Rosa with um, Mercedes Martinez more than likely in, in the corner of Thunder Rosa. I don't see them giving Britt Baker a year-long title reign. Yes, it's almost coming close to a year because once double or nothing hits, then it'll be a whole entire year. I see her losing against Thunder Rosa because that's always been the plan, at least in my eyes. After this, main event time, TNT Championship matchup. Sammy Guevara going against Darby Allin. Sammy wins the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Andrade and Jose. Darby has Sammy beat. The only thing he had to do was hit the coffin drop from the top. But once he's at the top and he's going for the coffin drop, Jose gets on the ring apron and distracts Darby Allin. Sting pulls Jose off the ring apron and starts attacking him. The referee is looking at this at the moment, and this allows Andrade to run through the crowd, jump over the barricade, get on the ring steps, and hit Darby Allin with an iPad. So at this moment, Darby's knocked out. Sammy Guevara is now allowed, and he gets up and grabs Darby, hits him with the GTH for the win. After the match, Mahardy comes running down to the ring, gets into the ring, starts attacking Darby Allen. You see Sammy Guevara on the outside of the ring. He looks at this. He runs back into the ring, and this chases off Matt Hardy outside of the ring. So then you see Andrade get in the ring, and he hits Sammy Guevara from behind with the iPad. So now you get Sammy and Darby both laid out in the ring. You see Andrade pick up both TNT championships. He hoists them both up in the air. Sting gets into the ring, but you see Andrade start leaving the ring, but he's not dropping the TNT titles. He's still holding on to him. So at this moment, AEW closes out with Andrade and Matt Hardy at the ring, like, not the ring, but like in the middle of the ring aisle, and Andrade holds up both TNT championships, so it looks like Andrade's holding the TNT titles hostage. We'll have to see how this all plays up on the next uh, week's episode of AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite was fine, and it was good this week. I just want to see how they're going to work this out next week. But again, this was AEW Dynamite's Wrestling Highlights of the Week. After this, now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a world title contract signing. Scott Demore and Moose are in the ring. We don't see W. Morrissey go down to the ring because Scott tells Moose that Morrissey isn't here. But Moose needs to sign the contract for his match with Morrissey at No Surrender. Moose decides to throw some shots at Morrissey, but ultimately says that he isn't like other guys that Morrissey has faced and wrestled and basically beat. Moose is a wrestling god in that no surrender, he's going to beat Morrissey. That's the gist of this thing. Moose signs the contract, he leaves the ring, Moose gets on the entrance stage, Morrissey's music hits, and Moose is slowly turning around, he sees Morrissey walk out, he runs towards Morrissey trying to see if he can attack him, but W. Morrissey puts up a big boot, and Moose gets hit with a big boot. Morrissey then picks up Moose, throws him across the stage, and he ultimately chokeslam Moose off the stage through a table. Morrissey ends up signing the contract, so now our match at No Surrender is official. Morrissey will be going against Moose for the world title. After this, we have Masha Slamovich going against Kia Dream. Or Kaya Dream. There it is. Kaya Dream. I'm sorry for butchering your name the first time. It doesn't matter, though. Masha wins the match quickly by pinfall because Masha hits Kaya with the burning hammer and then the Russian death device, which is a Northern Lights bomb for the win. Again, respect to Kaya Dream, but I'm just saying it didn't matter technically because you got beat by Masha Slamovich quickly. 
After this, triple threat match, Ace Austin with Madman Fold in his corner, going against Blake Christian, going against Laredo Kid, and the winner of this match will be added to the Fatal 4-Way match for the number one contender uh, for the Exhibition Championship at No Surrender, which already has Chris Bay, Jake Something, and Mike Bailey. Ace Austin wins the match by a pinfall when Blake Christian hits a 450 foot stomp on Laredo Kid, and then Ace Austin was able to slide into the ring, hit a springboard blockbuster onto Christian for the win. This is a great three-way match between Ace Austin, uh, Blake Christian, and Laredo Kid. At one point, we saw both Laredo Kid and Ace Austin on the outside of the ring, and Blake Christian runs it's a Flosberry flop on the outside of the ring, but he lands on his feet, but he captures both Ace Austin and Laredo Kid, and he hits like the AJ Styles uh, DDT the way he used to do it whenever he used a backflip and catches somebody, hit him with the reverse DDT. He does that in the exact same way, but he does it with a whole lot of style. It was a great three-way match, what I'm basically trying to get here. After this, we have our in-ring debut of Giselle Shaw going against Lady Frost. Giselle wins the match by pinfall when Giselle hits a spinning splash from the second turnbuckle onto Frost for the win. The same uh, move that Tiffany Stratton hit on Wendy Cho last week on NXT. That's the same exact move that Giselle did to Lady Frost to win the match. Giselle did hit a Spanish fly on Lady Frost from the top uh, turnbuckle, and it looked like she was going to win after that doing that move, but that was not the case. Um, good opening debut for Giselle Shaw on Impact. It looked like she belonged there. She had stage presence. She had ring presence. She looks like she's literally the whole total package. I would like to see her already be pushed to that main event spot for Impact for this whole thing, because again, she has in-ring presence and she has camera presence. She knows how to work the lights, so I mean, it only makes sense if she gets popped to the main event of the knockouts division, at least in my opinion. It looks to me that Masha Slamovich is like being like the Samoa Joe of the knockouts, just being there, being dominant, smashing chicks until she finally decides to go after the women's championship, which I don't see them doing that with yet with Masha. Anyway, after this, it's time for Kenny King with Honor No More in his corner, going against Chris Saban, who has Rich Swan, Rhino, and Eddie Edwards in his corner. No Steve Macklin. Chris Saban would win the match by pinfall when Kenny was looking to hit the Royal Flush on Saban, but Saban was able to hold on to the top rope and reverse out of the move and pin King with an octopus-type maneuver. Pinfall. After the match, Maria Canellas gets in the ring, she gets on the mic, and she tells Saban that he's good in ring one-on-one, but at no surrender, Honor No More will be a united front while Impact wrestlers, they can't trust each other. Maria then asks them, do they know who attacked Jonathan Gresham? And tells them that it wasn't nobody from Honor No More. Maria then implies that Mackling took out Gresham and points out that they need to get their stuff together before they get in the ring with Honor No More because Impact guys don't know who to trust at this moment. Because again, Macklin wasn't out there for Chris Saban during this match, but Rich Swan, Rhino, and Eddie Edwards were out there for Chris Saban. So... This is playing up to the fact that Steve Macklin can't be trusted, but we'll have to see how this all plays out on uh, No Surrender. After this, we have a tag team match. Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans going against Mickey James and Chelsea Green. Tasha and Savannah Evans would win the match by pinfall when Mickey James hits Savannah with a Mick DDT. 
then Tasha was able to hit Mickey James with a crucifix bomb for the win. So this gives Tasha Steeles some momentum going into her match against Mickey James for the knockouts championship at No Surrender. After this, we have our six-man tag team match, which is the main event of Impact. Violence by Design, uh, Eric Young, Diener, and Joe Doring going against Bullet Club, which is Jay White and the Gorillas of Destiny, Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa. Bullet Club will win the match by pinfall when Jay pins Diener after Gorilla's Destiny hit the kill shot, which is known as the 3D in WWE or in the rest of the wrestling world. Then Tongaloa hits a headbutt from the top turnbuckle. Then Tamatanga hits a big body splash from the top turnbuckle. And this allows Jay White to go over to Diener, pin him to win the match. It was a good six-man match up here. You had, at one point, you had uh, Joe Doring and Tongaloa had their little... Uh, Haas matchup where uh, Tongaloa told Joe Doring to run and shoulder tackle him and they did the whole shoulder tackle deal where none of them could move each other until Joe Doring basically clotheslined Tongaloa and then at that time Joe Doring also falls down as well so it was a good six man matchup here. It also entices me to really want to see Eric Young going against Jay White. Those two guys, the leaders of both groups uh, just have their first singles match that I believe that they're having and when Impact is about to end, we see the Good Brothers come out on the stage and they look at the Gorillas of Destiny and they hold up their Impact Tag Team titles. So this is giving you implications of will we see a title change? Will we see the Good Brothers lose to the Gorillas of Destiny at No Surrender? Or will we see the Good Brothers retain their tag titles at No Surrender? But before I get into WWE uh, SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week, let me just give you my No Surrender uh, predictions, if you will. I have Moose beating W. Morrissey to retain the Impact World Championship. I have Honor No More winning to uh, stay in Impact Wrestling and just basically continue to wreak havoc. Do I see somebody turning on, somebody from Team Impact turning to join Honor No More? You know what? To be honest with you, Eddie Edwards, he has some uh, ties with Ring of Honor, so I could see him joining Honor No More, but he's a blood and lifeline of Impact Wrestling. That's kind of what his whole, like, title of title is in Impact Wrestling. So if he turns, that'll be a great turn, but it'll be... No, it'll be a great turn, just period. Um, That's the only one, technically. I don't want to see Chris Saban turn, because that, that wouldn't make sense to me that much, because he has no really, like, affiliates with Ring of Honor. So... If Eddie Edwards turns, that'll be different, but I will, I will enjoy this one because Eddie Edwards hasn't been a bad guy in Impact, I don't think ever. So it'll be a great time for him to do it. Anyway, after this, uh, I see, I want Tasha Steeles to beat Mickey James for the knockout title. I do. I had, I think I had like Lady Frost winning the Ultimate X, but I did want Tasha Steeles to win the Ultimate X at Slammiversary. So... No, was it Slammiversary or was it uh, Hard to Kill? I said Hard to Kill. Yeah, it was Hard to Kill. I had, yeah, Ladies Frost, but I wanted Tasha Steele, so I'm just going to go with my heart right now. I want Tasha Steele to win, so I'm going with it. Tasha Steele to beat Mickey James for the Knockouts Championship. Good Brothers going against the Gorillas of Destiny for the Impact World Tag Team titles. Mm, you know what? The Good Brothers have held on to those tag titles for a good bit. It's about time. Why not? Give it to the Gorillas of Destiny. Let's see what they do with them. Will they go to Japan with them or will they go around everywhere else? Let's keep the Gorillas of Destiny in impact. Let's keep them on television. Why not? 
the tag team division in Impact needs a boost, a jolt, if you will. So why not give it to the Gorillas of Destiny? Eric Young going against Jay White. Ah, Jay White. Jay White's uh, starting to get used to American television, being on American television for wrestling products. Because he's on Impact. He has uh, AEW. And New Japan are starting to do American shows around, like, in Philadelphia, Chicago, all those type of things. And he's on those type of shows. So, Jay White getting another win underneath his belt. I see that happening. Black Taurus going against Jonah. Jonah is going to win this because he needs to pick up his win back from losing against Josh Alexander at Hard to Kill. Matt Cardona going against Jordan Grace for the uh, Impact Digital Media Championship. Matt Cardona winning some... Still by doing some type of bad guy heel tendency. Do I know what it is? No, but I see Macaroni winning. Fatal four away to become the normal contender for the X Division Championship. Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Jake something, or Speedball, Mike Bailey. I give him. I see them giving this to Mike Bailey so we can get Trey Miguel going against Mike Bailey because we've seen Trey Miguel going against Ace Austin. We've seen him do it against Chris Bay. Seeing him do it against Jake something. Mike Bailey. He just got into Impact, but he's a fresh jolt into the impact roster so i see them giving that to mike bailey uh diana Peraza, she's having a open challenge for either the ring of honor women's championship or the triple a reina del race championship i don't know i see diana winning it obviously but do i see but do i know who's going to uh challenge for those either title no i mean there's a lot of people that they could pick up I mean, they could do Big Swole because Big Swole has a lot of uh, name value to it right now since the AEW situation, her and Tony Khan, it would make a lot of sense for Impact to capitalize on that, but that's all if, but that's all if Big Swole wants to do it. Um, That's the only one that like really pops in my head right now, Big Swole, because the AEW situation with her. Uh, I don't know about anybody else right now. But again, I don't know. I still see like Deanna Peraza winning. But that's just my whole thing for that. But anyway, that was my Impact Wrestling uh, No Surrender predictions. Now, let's talk about SmackDown. SmackDown starts off with a contract signing for Sonya Deville and Charlotte Flair going against Naomi and Ronda Rousey at Elimination Chamber. Sonya and Ronda had a little bag of four. Naomi popped in and just taught Sonya to basically signed a contract because Sonya was trying to tell both Naomi and Ronda that they could back out of the match. Sonya and Charlotte signed a contract. Ronda and Naomi signed, well, they're about to sign the contract. They're talking too much. Sonya has to tell them to shut up so they know a stipulation that she put into the contract. And the stipulation is, she mentions how Ronda talked about a couple weeks ago that Ronda could beat up Sonya Deville with one hand tied behind her back so you know where I'm headed with this. Ronda is wrestling this match with one arm tied behind her back, so she will be a handicap technically. So Naomi will have both of her hands, while Ronda will only have one, while both Sonya and Charlotte will be able to have both of their hands. Sonya tells both, again, Naomi and Ronda that they could back out of this, but they both signed the contract, so it hasn't been official. After the match, well, after the contract signing gets done, you see Ronda grab the contract, throw it at Charlotte, then she grabs Charlotte by the head and bash her head onto the table. And then you see both Naomi and Ronda flip the table on Sonya Deville and Charlotte Flair to end this segment. I see that this Elimination Chamber, not Elimination Chamber, but the tag team match right here. I see that you're probably going to have Sonya and Charlotte win just to get like one up 
on Naomi and Ronda Rousey, so they'll have their WrestleMania moment where Ronda beats Charlotte Flair. That's just my idea, but I'll get more into that at my uh, Elimination Chamber predictions. After this, we had our first match of the night. Ricochet going against Sheamus with Ridge Holland in his corner. Ricochet will win the match by pinfall when Ridge got on the ring apron when Ricochet was on the top turnbuckle looking for some type of move. Ricochet would get down and get in the face of Holland, and Sheamus sees this. He tries to go for the advantage. He tries to bro kick Ricochet, but Ricochet senses this. He moves out of the way. Ridge Holland ducks off the ring apron, so Sheamus starts yelling at Holland, asking him, what is he doing? And then once Sheamus turns around to look back at Ricochet, Ricochet hits him with the recoil, which is a code breaker for the win. After the match, Holland gets into the ring to check on Sheamus, and Sheamus gets up and yells at Holland, and then you see Sheamus just put his hands on his hips, and then he just shoves Holland, and Holland falls into the mat. So you see Sheamus starting to get a little bit agitated with Rich Holland, more or less because he hates losing, but he doesn't like that he lost more to Ricochet. After this, we had Jay Uso with Jimmy Uso in his corner going against Ivar, who had Eric in his corner. Ivar win the match by disqualification, when Ivar was hit a big body splash from the top turnbuckle, also he would throw up the one to mock the Usos whenever he did hit this body splash on Jay. And when he was pinning him, he looks like he's about to get the three count because the referee's about to slap his hand for the three. Jimmy comes into the ring, hits Ivar with one of the Viking Raiders entrance headpiece uh, set. Once the bell rings, Eric will get into the ring, and he would knee Jimmy in the face, and Jimmy's kind of knocked out at this point, but he's still standing up, still holding the headpiece. And then you see Eric grab the headpiece from him, hit Jimmy with it, and you see both of the Usos roll out of the ring and start walking up the ramp as the Viking Raiders stand there looking at the Usos. This match was, again, to promote their match at the Elimination Chamber for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. After this, we had a Drew McIntyre in-ring promo. The main gist of this was that Drew talks about many different ways how he could beat up and basically pin uh, Mad Cat Moss at Elimination Chamber. Since it is a false cow anywhere, he talked about putting his uh, Mad Cap's head on a, I believe, a stove that was on, so basically burning him, uh, drowning him in the Red Sea. I believe he even said, like, beating him up in the desert and making him eat sand or something. Either way, it was a, one of those type deals. Madcap and Happy Corbin come out. They say a couple words saying that uh, he's not going to do that, how Madcap's going to beat up on Drew. That's basically the gist of this. We all know how this is going to end at Elimination Chamber. Anyway, after this, it's time for the long-awaited Intercontinental Championship matchup between Shinsuke Nakamura and Sami Zayn. Sami would win the match by pinfall to become the new Intercontinental Champion. When Sami catches one of Nakamura's kicks and kicks Nakamura in his other knee that Sami Zayn has been targeting throughout the whole match. So Nakamura was already weak in that other knee that Sami kicks. Nakamura drops down. Sami pins Nakamura for the win. You don't get a Huluva kick to end it. No, you get a kick to Shinsuke's beat up knee to win the match. I mean, it worked. Because Sammy was beating up on Nakamura's knee after Nakamura tried to hit a Kinshasa on Sammy on the outside. But Sammy moved and then uh, Nakamura hit the uh, steel steps. And then after that, Sammy was working over that knee. So, I mean, it makes sense for him to kick that bummed out knee and win it that way. So, I mean, it works for the whole Sammy Zane master strategist type deal for him. So, congratulations to Sammy. Which, now with that being said, I'm hoping to God we will get Sammy Zane versus Ricochet. More or less at WrestleMania, Ricochet needs a WrestleMania moment. He's a young guy, and I've been 
constantly on this program saying that Ricochet needs to win the Intercontinental Championship so he could elevate the Intercontinental Championship and him and the Intercontinental title both could be elevated at the exact same time because Ricochet has a whole lot of charisma and a whole lot that he can do inside the ring that a whole lot of people can't do and you're just wasting that Intercontinental title. Do not put Sami Zayn going against Johnny Knoxville. What you guys could do is bite off an old uh, TNA uh, rivalry with Loki, or better known as Senshi, back in that time, was the exhibition champion. He was the big, serious wrestler. And Chris Sabin and his buddies uh, Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal were doing, like, jackass-type, uh, I believe, like, skits and type of things in the ring because they were promoting jackass movie back in what 2006 and you could have that basically here since Sami Zayn's already in a few with Johnny Knoxville have Ricochet basically just do some stuff to not say promote jackass because jackass movie jackass forever already came out in the movie theaters but just have like him be the guy that Saban was for 2006 and have Sami Zayn be the senshi or low-key, if you will, back in 2006. Just bring that rivalry, bring it up to date in 2021, and just remix it. You can. It's real easy. But, again, that's just my thought process on that. But, ultimately, I want Ricochet to win the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. Do that. After this, main event time. It's the main event segment. Roman Reigns and Goldberg have their little face-off. But before Goldberg comes out, you have Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman in the ring. You know the usual deal. Roman tells people to acknowledge him, gives the mic off to Paul Heyman so Paul Heyman can shower Roman with all the blessings and all the grandeur of words that Paul Heyman usually spews towards his clients. He does all this. He finishes off by saying Roman Reigns will beat Goldberg to retain the Universal Championship at Elimination Chamber. You see Goldberg come out. Goldberg gets in the ring. He gets in the face of Roman. Roman acts Goldberg, this is my show, and this is my ring. There's only two things we do in this ring. Either A, you got something to say to me, or either B, we're going to fight. It's all up to you. He hands Goldberg the mic. Goldberg says, you know what? I was wrong last week. I got to apologize to these people. I said that you were next, in which Goldberg has then reverb and says, I got that wrong. I'm next. I'm the next Universal Champion, and he tells Roman that he's going to beat him at Elimination Chamber for the Universal Championship. That's how SmackDown ends, but there is one important, and I mean very important thing that happened on SmackDown tonight. And the very important thing is that The Undertaker was announced as the first inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2022. Now, that is a big thing because Undertaker has been in WWE for, God, three decades, almost three whole decades now. And... It's a big accomplishment for Undertaker because not a lot of people get to have the career that Undertaker has. Think about it. His character is literally a dead, like, cowboy, but has powers, if you will. If you really look at the Undertaker character and look at it, the evolution of it, that's really what it was. He had he was a dead man when he first got into the WWE. He then starts metamorphing himself into, I'm not going to say satanic-type character, but you can tell he had some like, type of satanist type dealings in his gimmick right around the attitude era before he transitioned himself over to the american badass uh gimmick and then he over he comes back into the dead man but with the mma style with the gloves a modernized version of the dead man 
Undertaker's had a whole lot of different style and different like change up of his character and appearances and the way that he uh shows it off to the people. I mean, Undertaker's had a storied career, so I want to say congratulations to Undertaker for this. But there's no but technically to it. I was always wondering, well, I was wondering last week, like, why hasn't WWE announced a Hall of Fame guy yet? I was wondering this literally last week. I didn't say it on the pod last week because obviously my brain goes uh, 100 miles <laughs> fast quickly, as you obviously can tell by the way that I speak. I was thinking that. And I now seeing it on SmackDown when they said that The Undertaker is being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, I was like, okay, finally, because... I remember back in the day, like, a couple of years, like, in the early 2010s, you would have somebody be, like, they start inducting people right around Royal Rumble time. They start inducting one person, and then probably, like, two weeks later, you get another person getting inducted, and then you start seeing the class forming up. But now we're waiting until, like, middle of February to get it done. Cool, fine. We'll see how, we'll see who else joins in with Undertaker on the Hall of Fame class. But again... Congratulations to The Undertaker for being the first uh, person being inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame for the class of 2022. I don't think anybody's going to have any problems with that, with you technically being the first person in there at all. Anyway, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage starts off with Adam Cole going against Dark Order's 10. Adam Cole won't win the match by pinfall when 10 has Cole in a full Nelson, and Cole moves himself towards the referee and basically backs the referee to the corner. By doing this, the ref can't see Adam Cole lifting up his leg and kicking 10 in the nuts. So 10 has to let go of the full Nelson, and this allows Adam Cole to hit two super kicks on 10. Once in the face, and then one behind the head of 10, and when he does this, 10 drops to his knees, and then Adam Cole finishes it off by hitting him with the boom, which is a running knee behind the head of 10, for the win. After this is the face of the revolution qualifying matchup between Powerhouse Hob going against Dante Martin. You would think Dante's gonna win this, but that doesn't happen. Powerhouse Hob win the match by pinfall when he hits Dante with the spine buster for the win. So now you have Keith Lee, Warlow, and Powerhouse Hob in the face of revolution ladder match. If you know Keith Lee, if you've seen Warlow, and if you also have seen Powerhouse Hub, these are not the three guys that you would think they would be into a ladder match. Even commentary team, as the match was going on, they said, if well, Powerhouse Hub wins this, this is going to be a different dynamic because the ladder match is not usually built for big guys like this to be in a ladder match. They might have to get bigger ladders. More than less, AEW has a plan for this. So I see these being the three big guys. I see them probably getting like mm, one technical guy, probably or probably two technical, technical guys and one high flyer guy. Either way, this face of Revolution ladder match is going to be different, and I can't wait to see who else joins in, and I can't wait to see the match at Revolution. After this, we have the Professor 5-Minute Challenge. Serena D going against Angelic Risk. Serena wins the match by submission when Serena powerbombs Risk and then locks her into the Serenity Lock for the win with 2 minutes and 55 seconds left remaining in the match. So, again, this was another one of those things that Serena just basically picks somebody they have their match, but Serena basically is padding her numbers to get an AEW Women's Championship matchup somewhere down the line. And also does get announced, too, by the way, that at Revolution, it will be Britt Baker going against Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship. Anyway, now time for the main event. Jay White going against Trent Beretta with Orange Cassidy in this corner. 
Jay White won to win the match by pinfall when Jay counters out of Trent's going for the Yoshi Tonic and then turning it into the Blade Runner and hitting it on Trent for the win. This was a nice back and forth matchup between Jay White and Trent Beretta. I mean, you had them basically forearming each other in the face. You had at one point when both of them were outside of the ring, uh, Trent Beretta tried to go, I believe, for a spear, but Jay White lifted up his knee and Trent hit hard on that knee and it looked brutal. And then you had Jay like hit a um a half uh suplex onto a steel chair right next to a guardrail. I mean the match between these two were very brutal. They threw hits at one another. I mean, it was very, very New Japan pro wrestling, but they had to modernize it. Not modernize it, but Americanize it so the fans will like get into the match. And the fans did. So again, congratulations to both of these men for having a great main event match on AEW Rampage. And that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, let's get to the predictions, the Elimination Chamber predictions. For the Elimination Chamber for the WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley going against Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, Austin Theory, Riddle, and AJ Styles for the WWE Championship. I see... Bobby Lashley retaining, because if Brock Lesnar wins, and we get Brock going against Roman for the Universal Championship and the WWE Championship, it is going to be a complete terror. And I will explain why, if this happens on my Elimination Chamber review. I'm hoping that it don't, so I don't have to explain it. But if it does, best believe you're going to hear an explanation from me on why I say this is going to be a complete, complete boneheaded thing WWE does. Anyway, the next match, uh, Becky Lynch going against Lita for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch is winning. She's not losing this championship to Lita tonight on Elimination Chamber. It's not happening. The Usos going against the Viking Raiders for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. I have the Usos winning. I don't see the Viking Raiders taking it tonight at the Elimination Chamber, but we shall see for that. Roman Reigns going against Goldberg for the Universal Championship. Roman Reigns winning to retain the Universal Championship. And hopefully Bobby Lashley comes out to spear Goldberg just to uh, one-up Roman Reigns because because Roman Reigns did technically spear Brock Lesnar at the WWE uh, Royal Rumble and kind of did help Bobby win the WWE Championship at the Royal Rumble because Roman has a beef with Brock. And Bobby Lashley still has a beef with Goldberg, whether people want to admit it or not. Because remember, the last time they were in Saudi Arabia, you had Goldberg spearing Bobby Lashley off the stage through tables. It will be like going full circle. That's just my whole thing on that. False count anywhere matchup. Drew McIntyre going against Madcap Moss. I have Drew McIntyre winning this, and then we're going to see him going against Happy Corbin, probably even at Mania in some type of matchup. I don't know what type of matchup they can do for these two, but I see that's what we're probably leading up to. The Elimination Chamber for the chance to go against the Raw Women's Champion at WrestleMania. You have Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, Dewdrop, Nikki A.S.H., and Alexa Bliss. I'm going with Bianca Belair. She's the only one in there that I can see this leading up to a match with Becky Lynch at Mania. Because it'll be full circle because Becky beat Bianca at SummerSlam in a very, very fast match. Which was really disappointing to everybody. And it'll be poetic justice for Bianca to win it at Mania. But if they don't go with Bianca, I know they're probably going to go with Bliss, which is going to be, I don't, I don't see it. I don't. So I'm not even going to say it like that. Bianca Belair is my one and only choice. 
Bianca. Tag team matchup. Ronda and Naomi going against Charlotte and Sonya. I already said it. Charlotte and Sonya are going to win this. Yeah. And then you got Rey Mysterio with Dominic Mysterio in his corner going against The Miz. I see Ray's going to win it. Ray's going to win it, and then Miz is probably going to do something later. Probably be the host of Mania. That's my, like, best guess for that. And that is my Elimination Chamber uh, predictions. Now, before I do get you guys out of here, I do want to give a special sh- highlight onto one Black wrestler since this is uh, Black History Month. Again, I am still ganking this technically from the Public Enemies podcast. They do this. They did this this episode and two weeks ago. Well, this week, last week, and they've been doing this all February on Black History Month. They've been high, putting a special high, uh, spotlight onto Black wrestlers. And for me, I like that idea, and now I've technically ganked it, but I want to give credit to them. Um, The wrestler, the black wrestler that I decided to put a spotlight on to has, is a personal favor for me because it brings me back to whenever I got my first and only PS2, and that was right around, what, 2004? Early 2004? Right around Valentine's Day, 2004. Because SmackDown vs. Raw, the first one came out in 2005. So yeah, 2004, yep. Um, The <laughs> the wrestler that I want to put a spotlight on is a CZW wrestling legend. And also, he just got inducted into the professional, independent professional wrestling hall of fame, Ruckus. Um, if you don't know who Ruckus is, which I'm pretty sure about a good percentage of people don't know who Ruckus is, if you didn't follow independent wrestling, Ruckus was a guy that was primarily in CZW, which was Combat Zone Wrestling, which was a independent promotion out there in Philadelphia. And the reason why I say I want to put a spotlight on Ruckus is this. Ruckus came into CZW nearly 300 pounds. And he was doing nothing but backflips, 450. He was doing a whole lot of high-flying moves, but he was a 300-pounder guy. And remember, he, no, well, he's five foot eight, and he was 300 pounds at the time. And he was doing a whole lot of backflips and a whole lot of moves and a whole lot of things that you see cruiserweights or X-Division guys at the time doing. And that just kind of, like, startled me. But when I got truly into Ruckus was when I start looking at um, independent wrestling after I got into the Backyard Wrestling video game. Backyard Wrestling 2, don't try this at home. That's the video game. And that was like the first video game that I got for the PS2 on, because on Valentine's Day, my mother and my father got us a PS2 and it had Taken Tag Team, uh, Mega Man, and Backyard Wrestling 2, because obviously I'm the wrestling guy here. And on that game, you had different wrestlers. You had uh, Signing Mondo, Zandig, Ruckus, some Japan guys, uh, Andrew WK. I mean, it was a very, very weird uh, ensemble of guys. And a whole lot of guys, I had no idea who they were. So in the game, you could basically win matches and collect some type of stuff. And then you can buy things from there. And in the game, you could buy video highlights of wrestlers that are inside the game. In that, I was able to buy highlight packages, and one of the highlight packages was a ruckus, and you saw him doing a whole lot of backflips and doing a whole lot of different moves in it, and it just brought my eyes and opened my eyes to independent wrestling, but it brought my eyes onto 
who is this guy? So I started doing research on it and I woke up and saw exactly what CZW was. And then later down the line, he was on MTV's real short-lived uh, Wrestling Society X back in 2006. Again, my mother brought me onto that too because she was flipping through the channels one night on a Friday night and she called me in and then she said, have you seen this? And this Wrestling Society X, it was the first episode of it. And then later down the line on that season, you saw Ruckus with uh, a guy named Baby Slim on there and they and they were known as Keeping It Gangsta, yes. And on the show, you also had Human Tornado. Human Tornado, great character too. He was known as a black pimp on uh, Wrestling Society X, but he's also a great high flyer too, but he was also a pro wrestling gorilla champion. But that's Human Tornado. I'm sticking with Ruckus right now. No disrespect to Human Tornado. If you don't know who Human Tornado is, look him up. Great, great guy too. But getting to a point, Ruckus, he formed a group called Blackout and CZW. Inside the group was the Black G Sabian, a guy named Joker, a guy named Robbie Marino, and a guy that you guys are all now familiar with, Eddie Kingston. Yes, Eddie Kingston, last of a dying breed. That Eddie Kingston. The real ones know that, because Eddie Kingston don't even say that on AEW, the last of a dying breed. That's how old, and that's how much far back I know of Kingston, because of Blackout. They are running CZW. Ruckus was CZW world champ at a time. He was also CZW tag team champion. I mean, at a time in the independence, not a lot of guys held a lot of belts. Ruckus was literally the belt collector collector around in the independent circuit. He held the CZW world championship, the tag team championship, uh, Midland, Maryland tag team championship. He held... Uh, other belts at the exact same time. There was one back in the MySpace era. There was he had a my he had his MySpace and he had the photos of him holding belts and all that type of stuff. And there was one photo of him holding multiple belts and it brought me back to the Ultimo Dragon instance of Ultimo Dragon holding like six or seven championships, just completely decked out, arms lengthened and two all around his waist. It brought me back to that. So I credit. Ruckus with the whole belt collector beginning because it went away after Ruckus, but then it got brought back up because obviously Austin Aries, and then you had after Aries, you saw Kenny Omega, and then you see other people now doing the whole belt collecting thing. But early 2000s, Ruckus was the man that was belt collecting a lot of places. But if social media was around and right around back then, Ruckus would have been a bigger household name. And if anything, I believe he would have got signed. He was more heavy on the uh, marijuana stuff. He would be smoking marijuana. That was whole black household situation. I, well, majority ruckus. He would come out there smoking a blunt and everything else. But if the laws were like it was now, where in certain states you could smoke marijuana and it's legal in certain spots, ruckus would have got signed. Ruckus would have got signed to either Impact. He would have got signed to WWE. Oh, Ruckus would have got signed, ladies and gentlemen, because he does things that a lot of people still, to this day, I still haven't seen nobody on television do. I still haven't seen people do. Ruckus was that guy. And again, I want people to go to YouTube, type in CZW Ruckus, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Ruckus is that guy. He is that man. That's the reason why I want to put a special spotlight onto Ruckus, because he was a guy that I looked up to in the professional wrestling, in the independence 
for real, for real. Him and Blackout, those were the men. They were the guys. And that led me on to knowing about Chikara with Eddie Kingston and then knowing Mike Quackenbush and all these other things that made my arm spread out. And at the time, Ruckus and Black were having a feud, I believe, with Chris Hero and uh, Claudio Castagnoli, or as you guys know him, and as we all know him now, as Cesaro. So that brought me into that, and then it got me into Ring of Honor. I mean, Backyard Wrestling too did that, but Ruckus in particular, with me diving in and looking into who Ruckus was, that that opened up my eyes to independent wrestling on a real bigger landscape. Anyway, I want to give respects to Ruckus. I want to thank you, sir. Thank you for everything you've done for independent wrestling, and you deserve to be in the Independent Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Now, speaking about Hall of Fame, I said I was going to get you guys out of here. This is just a quick note. Ring of Honor is coming back. They're being around. Their first show is going to be uh, WrestleMania weekend. Ring of Honor, I believe, All-Star Extravaganza, I believe, or Supercard of Honor. There it is. It'll be Jonathan Gresham going against Bandito for the Ring of Honor World Championships, both of them for the Unified Championship. Briscoes will be going against a mystery team for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. I believe those are the only two matches so far that I do know, but those are now coming to my mind, okay? But getting to Ring of Honor and getting to the reason why I say, say Hall of Fame here, Ring of Honor has opened up their Hall of Fame, and they have inducted certain men, people from ROH's past into the Hall of Fame. Their first inductees were the Briscoe Brothers. Second one was Brian Danielson. They just announced this past, well, this Monday, that Samoa Joe, they're inducting into their Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure they're probably going to do two more people, more or less CM Punk, and I don't know who the other person is, because Punk is always associated with Ring of Honor, especially with his Second City Saints and all his stuff before he left to go to WWE in 2005. So again, Ring of Honor has opened up their Hall of Fame. Briscoe deserves it. Brian Danielson deserves it. Samoa Joe deserves it. CM Punk going to deserve it, so I know they're going to have Punk in it. If they don't, it's going to be weird. But, hey, it teaches on. But so far, all four of these men deserve to be in the uh, Ring of Honor Hall of Fame because each one of them did help build up that foundation, no pun intended, to Ring of Honor and make it become this big global brand of all these unknown guys that will one up to one day get signed to these big companies. Danielson and Samoa Joe had great careers uh Samoa Joe career good career in Impact Wrestling or TNA at the time then he gets signed to NXT where he had a great time in NXT then he went to the main roster where he had a so-so time Brian Danielson he had a he got signed to WWE we know what happened with the Nexus thing but after that and he got re-signed he had a whole great career in WWE then he leaves now he's in AEW and he's having banger upon banger of matches with people in AEW so he's been doing phenomenal Briscoes stayed with Ring of Honor throughout that whole time from 2002 all the way to 2021 whenever they took that break after final battle they were literally constantly with Ring of Honor and I think Briscoes even said they weren't in Ring of Honor for probably like one year out of that whole time so again i still call them lifers of ring of honor but without the briscoe brothers being there that tag team division wouldn't have lasted some time because at times ring of honor only had a couple of tag teams and briscoes were carrying that load for real so again all four of these guys deserve to be in the ring of honor hall of fame and i believe they're gonna i think they're gonna put two more people in there that's just my best guess but anyway 
Now, with all that being said, let me give you guys my social media links so I can get you guys out of here. Twitter, you can find me at, at My2Podcast. Instagram, My2CentPodcast, G2. And my email is My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. Remember, you can email me about anything. My email is open to the public. Nobody's took me up on this. Seriously, you can email me and you're going to get a real person typing you back. It's me. Nobody, not a not an assistant, not a secretary. It's only literally just me with this email. So there you go. Um, I want to thank you for listening in. I want to let you know my Elimination Chamber resu- uh, review is not going to be out on Monday. It's going to be out on a Sunday. Yes, you're getting two episodes on it because I had to come to the realization that, you know what? Why wait literally two days after a freaking pay-per-view happened so you can get your review? That came across my mind literally this week so I've now decided that if a pay-per-view happens on a Saturday, you're going to get it Sunday and if it happens on a Sunday, you're going to get it on a Monday the most obvious choices that I neglected or I overshot and overthought but anyway, just want to let you know that too, so you're getting two episodes on Sunday, you're getting my regular Sunday uh, podcast and you're also getting the Elimination Chamber review when it's come down to WrestleMania, I gotta figure out how I'm gonna do that. But more or less, probably gonna get it on a Monday since Mania is a two-day thing. You're probably gonna get day one and day two smashed together for that one. But I'll think about that. No, I know what I'm doing. Monday, that's happening. Sorry, that's me thinking out loud. Anyway, I love you all. Have a great Saturday. Please, for the love of God, uh, be safe out there. And I hope you guys tune into my Sunday episode. But if not, you'll be tuning into the wrestling uh, highlights for Elimination Chamber that Sunday anyway. With that all being said, this has been my Two Cents Podcast, Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents, hosted by G2. I love you all. Please be safe. Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.